0: When we come to this conversation around how Christmas creates a better world, today I want us to open this up by looking at one of the central figures in the Christmas story, Jesus' mum, Mary. And I want to look at her life in a way how she surrendered her life for a greater and a bigger calling. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick it up from verse 26, but you can catch it on the screen behind me as well. Luke 1 at 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Will ever fail. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I wonder if we can even try and imagine that moment. Wow. That's a pretty hard moment to sort of wrap our heads around, right? Like we can kind of see this thing in hindsight and maybe piece some of it together, but that's a pretty full-on moment that mary experienced and mary wasn't used to being singled out Uh, this wasn't you know something that was quite normal for mary in many ways mary was a regular ordinary girl even her name was ordinary if you've read through the new testament have you been confused at times when you come across all these marys you're thinking hang on how do i piece this thing together I thought I was just going, okay, and now there's another Mary here and another Mary over there, and then a Mary, I oh, just don't know how to put this thing together. Well, you're in good company, if you've ever thought that and wondered how all these Marys sort of come together. It can be confusing. You know, actually, historians um, suggest that in the first century, up to 50% of all the women in Israel's day were named Mary. Not a lot of kind of, you know... Ingenuity, not a lot of, you know, kind of, you know, bringing different names and a variation of names. There was a lot of Mary's going around. So for Mary, she wasn't used to being singled out. She was used to sort of blending in. You might relate. Isn't it interesting that God chose to use someone quite ordinary, someone who was very regular in who she was and what she was about, to use her for his purposes in such a significant way. I wonder if you've ever felt quite ordinary, quite normal. Maybe there's been times in your life where you've blended and you have wondered, how would God use me? Oh, maybe you've got more in common. Maybe I've got more in common. Maybe we have got more in common with Mary than what we might think. So an angel comes to Mary in verse 28 and 29 says, you have found favour with God. Mary's Her first response isn't, this is great, I found favour with God, awesome, go me. No, that's not her response, is it? Mary's response is, she is troubled. She's like, if I found favour with God, there's trouble coming into my world. What is going on in this? So Mary, in verse 29, is greatly troubled. You know, there's a lot that Mary doesn't understand about this situation. Even when we try and put ourselves into this moment, there's a lot that can be confusing for us but for Mary there's a lot that she didn't understand there's so much of this situation that is confusing for her but there are a few things that she does understand there are a few things that she does know about herself and about the times in which she lives in firstly she knows that she's not married she knows that she knows she's not married an angel has just come to her and told her that she's going to have a baby so she knows she's not married she also needs. she needs to tell Joseph, she needs to tell her husband-to-be that she is a virgin and an angel has come to her and she's going to have a baby so she knows that she needs to do that Uh, she knows that she needs to tell him hey Joseph you need to know I haven't been unfaithful to you but she also knows what happens to women caught in adultery in the first century and she knows the reality of her situation She knows that it doesn't matter how honourable Joseph is as a man, how good he is as a man. She knows what happens in these situations. She would have seen and been there before. So Mary knew that by saying yes to God probably meant losing her marriage and her whole way of life. It's not lost on Mary that she's from a little town called Nazareth. Uh, She was in a small village of about a few hundred people. It was a small town. There might be times that you feel like you're living in a small town. There might be times where you're running into people in the shops and you might feel like that your world's not your own. Imagine in this moment what it would have been like for Mary. She's in this small town. She knows that she's not married. She knows that she's got to try and explain to Joseph that angels visited her, that the Holy Spirit is going to enable her to conceive. There's a whole lot of implications about who this baby is and she's not even getting into that. And then she also knows what happens for women who are caught in adultery. She knows that she's probably going to be publicly humiliated, publicly shamed. She probably knows that her family will be that as well. So she knows by saying yes to God in this moment, it is going to be so utterly disruptive in every other area of her life. So when the angel spoke to Mary, there was so much that she didn't, understand. She couldn't have even imagined who this baby Jesus was going to grow up to be. There was probably part of this that she wouldn't have even been able to understand when the angel said that this baby is going to be the son of God. Maybe not even tried to grasp that or, or God is going to give him David's throne. So the fact that this baby is going to be the Messiah, the one whom Mary and And many people before her would have grown up thinking about, when's our hero going to come? When's our Messiah going to come? When's our Savior going to come? They had this anticipation to be rescued. And then Mary has an angel visit her and speak to her in this way. This baby will be the Son of God. This baby will come from the throne of David. And this little baby is going to be peace on earth for all people. Wow, for Mary, this is a a big moment. Some things she can grasp and understand, many, many things she does not know in this moment what to do with. And then comes Mary's response. What an incredible posture. What an incredible response. In verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Or may your word be to me fulfilled. And this is not a statement of passive resignation over circumstances that she cannot control. No, I believe it is an offering of herself. This is a sacrifice of her agenda, her dreams, her life, ultimately who she is. She knows probably from every day, literally every day to the rest of her life, she'll be praying that prayer. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And this is how surrender works. This is what it means to be a people surrendered before the living God. Surrender isn't the same thing as being passive, not at all. Part of God's will for our lives is that we're active, that we make choices, that we're creative, that we initiate, that we take responsibility. It doesn't mean that we cease using of our mind or, or to think critically about situations or, or to use wisdom. No, not at all. Surrender is actually is this. Surrender is the acknowledgement that there is a God and it is not me. This is where Mary landed in her life. That surrender is an acknowledgement that there is a God and it is not me. That his purposes and his desires are wiser and better than my purposes and my desires. And when I think back over my story... When I think back over my life and the grace and the faithfulness of God in my life, I can see that surrender is the acknowledgement that there is a God and it is not me. When I was 13 years old, I remember uh, putting my trust in Jesus for the first time, praying after a youth group event with my youth leader and a friend, surrendering my life before God. It was a moment for me that was so very important as I was trying to wrestle with life and my place in it. And as I was growing in my faith and trying to understand more about what it meant to follow God, when I was 16, God spoke to me and said, Mike, you're one person at school acting and behaving a certain way, and you're another person at church acting and behaving in a certain way. You need to bring those worlds together. You need to surrender that sharing of me in all the parts of your life. And again, it was another really significant moment that I remember of surrendering myself before God and bringing those worlds together and growing in consistency as I grew into my faith. I remember at 18 years old, I met this girl called Michelle. This beautiful girl and I thought, oh gee, there could be something here. And we started to go out and we... And we started a day, and there was a surrender moment for me to say, Lord, if this is the person that you have for me in my life, I give that over to you. Make that happen. And by God's grace, we're still journeying life together today. I remember when I was 25, I'd been teaching for only a few years, and God spoke into my heart about actually walking with young people and seeing them thrive in life more than delivering on a curriculum. And that was a moment for me where I surrendered my career to God and I said God well I've been trained as a teacher I've been teaching but if you have this other thing for me to do then I surrender that before you I surrender career earnings future investment life you know all that stuff I bring it before you another moment of surrender when I was 30 years of age and we got asked to look at a role over in Melbourne we'd just bought a house that we thought we were going to grow have the kids grow up in you know one of these sort of moments and then a church from Melbourne asked if we would come over and look at a role there. And it was a surrender moment of where we lived. Again, a moment of surrender, acknowledging that I'm not God, but God is. Where God said, hey, where I want you to live, you can live. Now, that's not meaning, it's not easy, right? But, the, the, but surrender is the place where we want to be for uh, where it is most rewarding and purposeful living in what God has for us. And that surrender is an acknowledgement that there is a God and it is not me. So when you think about how does Christmas create a better world, well, Christmas creates a better world as we understand what it means to surrender our lives before the living God. And what it means to put our trust in Him. What it means to actively pursue the things that He has for us in your family, in your workplace. Uh, What it means to share your faith and to make disciples in the relationships that he has for us. There is an acknowledgement that there is a God and it is not me. I wonder if I asked you to think back over maybe some key moments in your life. What are some key moments where you've surrendered yourself before God? What are some key moments where you have... Acknowledged that there is a God and it is not you. And you have brought yourself to him as an offering and said, Lord, use me in the ways that you have for me. It's going to look different for us in different ways. But surrender is the acknowledgement that there is a God and it is not me. Well, let's continue to look at Mary's life in a few kind of snapshots as we go through Uh, the New Testament. Let's look what a life surrendered looks like. Well, later in chapter 2, Mary and Joseph, they take Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And this, again, has to be quite a confusing moment for for Mary, uh, because, you know, she was bringing her baby into the temple, and by law, that means that she needed to bring a lamb as well to sacrifice it. But they didn't bring a lamb, they brought two pigeons. And the people that brought pigeons were the people who were poor, And she was needing to kind of reconcile what did that mean, to figure out good news, Jesus the Saviour, Son of God, Messiah, the one that would bring peace on earth. And she's bringing a couple of pigeons. She must be thinking, how does this surrender thing work out? And then there's this old man there, he's named Simeon. He's a devout man, really highly regarded. And he prays, he kind of lifts up Jesus, has this sort of like Lion King moment, right? And, and he says these words in Luke 2. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of your people, your people Israel. And then what would be normal in that situation is for Simeon, because it's quite a patriarchal situ- you know, context in the first century, for, for then Simeon to the, talk to the man. But he doesn't do that, does he? He talks to Mary. He then talks to Mary, which is unusual. And he talks to Mary and he sees the, says these words. He says in Luke two thirty four and 35, Then Simeon blessed them and said to, his, to, to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't know if that's the sort of words you want to hear on a Sunday morning. This is a confusing moment for Mary. And then he just walks away. So what's Mary supposed to think? What's she meant to do with this? You know, good news, Son of God, Jesus the Saviour, Messiah, peace on earth. We're fine with all of that. And then Simeon says, his glory will come through sorrow and suffering. Mary must be still praying this prayer. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. But she must be wondering what's sort of going on in that situation. The last time we see Joseph is when Jesus is 12. And then at some point he passes away. Mary is widowed and she raises the family Uh, in many ways, from that perspective. Jesus' life shifts as he begins to engage in ministry. As his ministry starts to flow, things get a little bit messy in many ways. And Mary must have been, again, sitting in sort of kind of this confusion, what's really happening, how does it work, sort of thing. Because Jesus begins to heal, preach, drive out demons. He's loved by some. He's feared by others. He's despised, particularly by the religious leaders of the day. And this revolution is beginning and it's fair to say, uh, Mary must have thought, the jury's out here. What did I surrender my life to? Because the hardest part for Mary is it probably didn't look like what she thought it was going to be. She might have had an expectation around what this might have looked like and she probably thought it wasn't happening in that same sort of way. And we can see that because... In Mark 3, uh, we see this interaction between Jesus and his family. Mark 3, 31 to 35 says this, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, Here are my mothers and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother, and Mary must have been thinking, what What is going on? What, what is happening in this moment? How is Jesus bringing peace on earth? How is he the Messiah? Where is all this going? She might have even thought, What did I say yes to in the beginning? So we don't hear of Mary again, or Jesus' mum, Mary. We hear of other Marys, don't we? But we don't hear of Jesus' mum, Mary, again until the crucifixion. And uh, Jesus had been arrested, tried, convicted, beaten, hung on a cross. And then we're told in John 19, 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So Roman execution is sometimes would allow family members to come near uh, to the cross. And at this point, pretty much all of Jesus' followers had fled. They'd sort of left the scene. And who's there? Jesus' mum. She's there. And you you could kind of maybe think she could have been thinking, "I, I don't care what happens to me in this moment. This is my boy. This is who I surrendered all for. And she thinks back to the angel visiting her in that moment. And she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And Then we see Mary one more time in the early church. We see her in Acts 1.14, where it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and With his brothers and with his brothers. So now his brothers have come home too. His brothers are engaged in this prayer and in this community of faith, and now they are understanding what this peace on earth is about, what the angel spoke about all that time ago. Peace wins, not scandal, not gossip. Not the sword, not even death itself can stop the peace that Jesus brings. And this peace, I think we have to understand for Mary, started all those years ago when she said that prayer, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. And maybe in this moment, you know, she'd got what God was up to and she surrendered in a new way, in a new way that maybe she didn't even know she could. And it started with a simple prayer in many ways. There's a guy in our church. He's just started coming in the last uh, couple of months, but he's been engaged in the life of the church for the last couple of years. has been on a journey of coming to know Jesus. Uh, a couple of years ago, he dropped into our church during the week when uh, some things were Uh, going pretty hard in his life and he met with one of the team he prayed together and given gave him a bible and he sort of he 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 went away and and was okay with not any more contact from that moment but then 12 months later came back again and uh wanted to again meet and chat uh with uh, one of the team and started coming along on a sunday and some pretty significant things were happening in his world and uh He asked if we could meet up and I said, yeah, I'd love to meet up, let's do that. And he came into the church one day, we met up and we had a bit of a chat and he was wrestling through what does it look like to surrender his life to God. And he's a guy who's well educated, uh, has a pretty uh, decent job. He's um, managed to unpick some situations in his life where he found himself uh, in some trouble. But he got to this point where he was like, Mike, why is it okay now to surrender? Uh, he said, I don't feel like that's right. And I said, But isn't that the perfect place to be? To actually acknowledge that there is a God and it is not you. And we met for an hour. We talked about a number of things. And at the end of that time, I said to him, I said, What would you like to do with this conversation? And he said, Can you please introduce me to God? Can we pray together? And I said, sure, that'd be amazing. And we prayed together. And he's meeting up with one of our team, reading the Bible together, learning more about what it means to follow God. He started to share about his new faith with his friends at work and with his family. And now he's wanting to talk about what it means to be baptized. It's an incredible thing to see someone's faith come alive. Even more incredible when that comes from a place of surrender because our culture and our day would teach us to just sort it out figure it out but actually a life with God is the acknowledgement to know that we can put our trust in him we can surrender before him and by faith and as people of faith we can step into the things that he has for us. So how does Christmas create a better world? Well, Christmas creates a better world by having a people who are surrendered before the living God. And as we surrender ourselves before the living God, just like Mary did all those years ago, we then pick up the things that he has for us and we walk with him in that. Even when it's confusing, even when at times it maybe doesn't make sense, but with an assurance that we can surrender ourselves before the living God and trust Him with our lives. And Mary sets a pretty fantastic example to us in all of that. I want to invite you to stand. I want to give us an opportunity to respond to God in this. I want to give you an opportunity today to surrender to God. If you feel comfortable, I encourage you to put your hands out in front of yourself and surrender yourself before God today. To open yourself up to the living God as an acknowledgement and a move physically to say, God, I surrender myself before you. I acknowledge that you are God and I surrender myself before you. You know, that might not be enough for you today. You might want to kneel you might want to kneel down and, and, uh, and kneel before God and say, God, I'm surrendering myself before you. I, 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 Lord, I want that prayer to be as real for me as it was Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me as you have said. So I just encourage you now to have a moment with the living God, to surrender yourselves before him, to acknowledge that there is a God and that it is not you. To humble yourself before the living God. And ask him. Pray that prayer. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And just allow the Spirit of God to come and minister to your heart and to your mind. To allow God's presence to visit you. Just like Mary had a visit. All those years ago. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for a surrendered posture. I thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, want to create a better world, Lord, by us surrendering ourselves before you and picking up the things that you have for us. Lord, we don't do things on our own. Lord, we respond to your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. So, Lord, we acknowledge that today. and As we head into this Christmas season, Lord, we surrender ourselves before you. And, Lord, we know that is the the best place to be. It's not the easiest, but it is the most rewarding and the most purposeful. And we thank you, Lord, for that. So, Lord, we surrender ourselves before you. We bless you and we thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. So work in our lives, work in our hearts. Grow us as your disciples, Lord. And let us be a people who say, we are the Lord's servant. May your word be to us as you have said. Amen. Amen. We're going to respond to the Lord in song.